Love with Custodians of the Planet. I'm Deniz Yıldız. Custodians of the Planet brings consciousness to planetary challenges and looks at different perspectives regarding the tensions and harmony of human activities in a changing climate. Welcome to Plastic Free July. Plastic Free July is a global movement where millions of people all around the world commit to reducing their single-use plastic usage during the month of July. Currently, single-use plastic has a grip on our planet. The stuff is simply everywhere. Studies have even found microplastics in Arctic ice as well as human stool. It is also fair to say this July is slightly different than other Julys because of COVID-19. During the pandemic, there has been an increased appetite for single-use plastics. There is no doubt of the usefulness of plastic. It is very useful stuff. But in the long run, its impacts might be even scarier than the pandemic itself. Plastic pollution triggers a new public health crisis that we are not fully aware of yet. Today we have AJ Link, who is the CEO and founder of Seaside Scavenge. AJ is an environmentalist who wants to shake up the way we think about rubbish, each other and the planet. She is also a great friend of mine. So happy to have her here today. AJ, welcome to Custodians of the Planet. Hey, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me on today. I've been meaning to invite you and I'm so happy that we made this happen. Certain things happen in a certain way at a certain time, right? And I'm really glad it unfolded this way. I know you to be a custodian of the planet and committed to combating plastic pollution. Can you tell us what is plastic and what is the problem with plastic? Well, plastic is a product that we designed in only about the 40s. So it's only been around for about 70 or 80 years. And in that time, we've been able to spew millions of tons of it into our environment. It's made with a petroleum base, which means that globally 4% of the annual petroleum that we use is actually used to make plastic. So that's why it's quite detrimental as well to climate change or influential in the climate change movement. Plastic is a really great product when it's used in an ongoing format. The, the reason that we throw it out and use it single use makes it really damaging for the environment because it's a really hard and durable product. But really, it's a fantastic product for versatility. It's lightweight, it comes in different colors, and it can be used for like a multitude of different purposes. But it's just when we use it in a single-use format that it becomes really detrimental to the environment. Hmm. You made a really important point because exactly, we don't use in an ongoing process. Sometimes we just use for maybe a minute or so and then it stays forever. So there are different types of plastics and we can find the number in a little triangle on some of plastics we use. Can you tell us these numbers and what they really mean? I think it's really important to know. And, and can you tell us how effective recycling plastic actually is? Sure. So this is a big one that people often don't know is the little triangle symbol does not actually mean that the plastic is recyclable or that the product that it's on is recyclable. This triangle with the arrows is it's an ungoverned symbol and anyone can use it without having any certification. So that's 101. The one to seven numbers that you'll find in the triangle actually just indicate what sort of plastic it is. So number one is PET, for example, and that's a really common household plastic for things like juice containers. And that's a plastic that is, is recyclable. 
Number two is HDPE, which is things like milk containers, um, and that is also really recyclable. But the further you go along the, the, the scale to seven, the more obscure and different sorts of plastics they become. So it can be soft plastics, such as plastic bags or wrappers, as well as, you know, things like polystyrene or toys, like the hard hard toys or refrigerator packaging, that sort of stuff. And typically that stuff is not recyclable because recycling needs to be really simple. When you think about your curbside recycling, it's the yellow bin. And they say that plastics are recyclable, but there's so many different types. And really the way to know what is recyclable or not in a simple format is the scrunch test. So the scrunch test is if you get the item that you're trying to recycle and put it in the palm of your hand, and then you scrunch the item, if it returns to its original shape, it means that it's a hard plastic because it's quite strong and that means that it's usually recyclable. If it stays in a scrunched up ball, say like a, a plastic bag might, that means it's a soft plastic and typically that's not recyclable. The reason being is that soft plastics are really low quality plastic. So it's a really low value material. So they're not going to recycle it. Whereas a hard plastic is a higher quality material. So there's value in recycling it. However, I use the word value lightly because actually when we recycle, especially plastics, we actually downcycle. So it's not like aluminium, which you can recycle infinitely and it can maintain its quality. With plastic, you're actually downcycling it every time it recycles. In Australia, we actually recycle less than 12% of the plastic that we use. We produce about 30 million tonnes a year. 95% of that is single use. And yeah, as I said, only 12% is recycled, which is pretty devastating. Whoa. Yeah, it's because it's really tricky to separate it, as you can understand from those numbers one to seven. The problem is when it gets to an actual resource recovery center or a recycling facility, the waste or the litter or the, the plastic is so contaminated. For example, when you put things in your yellow bin, unless they're, if there's contaminants in there, for example, you might put a soft plastic, like a plastic bag in your yellow bin, that's a contaminant. And that means that it can't be recycled. And so if there's over 10% of contamination or things that can't be recycled in a garbage truck that's heading to a recycling facility, then the whole garbage truck actually has to go to landfill because it will contaminate the rest of the facility. And in Australia, we don't, our recycling separation uh, centres are not highly technical. And also in countries where recycling is really effective often is where labor costs are low and they actually do it manually and here in Australia that's not the case so we need to rely on technology but our technology isn't up to scratch but also products are just so complicated you know if you think of a Pringles packet there's cardboard aluminium hard plastic lid and the soft plastic cover and that's four different types of packaging just in one product. So to actually mm. separate that without by a machine, like you can think that that's pretty that's pretty tricky. So really to you know increase recycling for, for all of you avid recyclers out there, my number one tip is don't lunge for the recycling bin all the time. You know, really you want to know that what you're putting in there is a hundred percent recyclable. And if you don't, unfortunately you have to put it in landfill because the more contamination we put in the yellow bin, the less likely then it's not going to be recycled at all. Yeah. And even with the food scraps, for example, like a peanut butter jar or something, I always wash them properly and then recycle because it's increased the chance of contamination. I think there's a lot of misinformation and maybe even disinformation about recycling. There, there's a lack of education, and I think I think it should be in the curriculums, right? Well, I think I think what makes it really complicated, especially, is that each council has different recycling 
standards. Mm. So while they mostly are the same, you know, you might work in a suburb, but then you go home to another suburb in a different council and your waste separation is actually meant to be different, which is completely silly and, you know, backwards if we want to, like, educate people on how to separate their waste. Because, one, rubbish is really, you know, I think it's really interesting, but most people find it really boring and understandably because it's, you know, it's, it's not where you're focusing all your attention. So we need to create systems that are very simple and that we need to have education campaigns that, yeah, as you said, clarify this misinformation that's out there. You know, the fact that we advertise that hard, uh, that plastic is recyclable is wrong because there's so many different types of plastic and they're definitely not all recyclable in our current streams. So I think it really starts with standardising recycling systems mm. and then once we have standardised recycling systems, we can roll out large education campaigns about those systems. But until we do, we can't do large-scale education because it's it changes from council to council and then obviously from state to state as well. Yeah, right. The busboy comes and takes it with a cough, contaminates it, puts it in a can with coffee grounds and sardine tins. And the truck comes by on Friday and carts it all away. A thousand trucks just like it are converging on the bay. Oh, garbage, 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 garbage. Okay, so we have a general idea about plastic and its impact. Please tell us a little about your organization, Seaside Scavenge. So the Scavenge is a organization that I started five years ago, picking up litter, fun, and engage a wider cross-section of the community with the litter in their area. So basically the Seaside Scavenge runs events where we turn litter into a currency which you can use to buy secondhand stuff that's been donated by the local community. So we run these events at waterways, but not only seaside locations, we run them inland at lakes and rivers and also snowside events. So basically what we're trying to do with Seaside Scavenge is educate people about the waste in their environment, but also educate them about the fact that waste is a really valuable resource and it's not something that we should simply throw away. It's something that we need to pay attention to and when we're disposing of it or, you know, when it's come to the end of its life, think about where we can put it. Obviously, we have the clothes component in the Seaside Scavenge events and so we're really broadening the discussion not just on plastic waste like consumer takeaway products but about textile waste as well because a huge amount of textiles is also made of plastic which is comes in the form of synthetics like polyester nylon and lots of others so yeah the scavenge is really about addressing plastic textile and food waste in communities to understand that it's a, it's a really valuable resource we need to separate properly yeah i think Scavenge is a really creative foundation that allows people to rethink. Yeah, I, I really like the scavenge and its its formation. Let's talk about your about your impact. How many events have you organized so far, and what has been the impact of these events? So, in the last five years, we've organized seventy five scavenge events. I haven't run them all. Obviously, there's been, we've set up chapters of scavenge communities around the country. So we have annual events run by local coordinators, which is probably the best story that's come out of the scavenge is that we've created this framework, which is adaptable to different communities because it focuses on fun, positive, solution-based approaches. And then people can pick it up and run with it in their area. And it's really inclusive and generates conversation around plastic and, and textile waste locally. So in the past five years, we've removed over 13 and a half tons of litter. We've redistributed 10 tons of secondhand stuff from landfill. We have 
engaged over 7,500 people directly to participate in the event. And 82% of those people have actually never recorded attending a waste education event. So what I set out to do was to educate and engage the unaware. And this is what we can see in that in that stat is that, you know, people who, you know, previously don't really care for or are necessarily interested in waste are coming along to this event because there's live music, there's the incentive of secondhand clothes, and they're actually getting their hands in the sand or on the ground and picking up other people's litter, which most of them think they would never have done previously. Yeah, right. Wow. I love when you said it is locally adaptive and it's not only just one recipe that's trying to fit all communities or places but it's shaping itself within the community when you think back to when you first started running the scavenge event how would you compare it to right now has there been a change in the amount or type of waste or Has there been a change in awareness of the issues of plastic? What do you think? Yeah, when I started running the scavenge in 2015, waterway pollution and, you know, people knew litter was around, but not in the quantities that, that it actually is. So it wasn't until 2017 when War on Waste aired, which was a three-part doco by ABC educating Australians about plastic, textile and food waste, that that we saw a huge shift in consciousness across the country. Mm. Um, once that happened, this actually made the scavenge viable because councils then were needing to find solutions and programs to, to educate their communities about waste and the seaside scavenge fit that criteria and we were able to become financially viable through that so we partner a lot with councils to deliver the events but you know there's still a huge amount of waste ending up in our environment and you know I think it's probably even increasing not slowing down I think there's a greater awareness especially amongst Australians there's also new products that are on the market such as bioplastics like biopack and bioware which were not around when I started the event and these mm. are they're, they're good alternatives when they end up in the right place so a bio product is made with a vegetable starch whereas plastic is made with petroleum so that's a good that's a good shift but The problem with the bioware is that it needs to end up in an industrial compost facility. This is because it needs to reach up to 60 degrees at least so that the plastic or the, the bioplastics can break down. And we don't have across the country widespread organic waste collection yet. So the problem with the bioplastics and especially what we find when we run the events is that people are really confused about where to put them. And because they're framed as environmentally friendly, people opt to put them in the recycling bin. And that's the contamination that I was talking about earlier. So mm. the bioware, it really, it has to go in an organic green bin that accepts consumer takeaways, or it has to go into landfill. It's not recyclable. This is a big challenge that we're facing now. And the, the shift that we've seen is that there's new products and again there's a lacking education around those new products yeah i could go on for days <laughs> we're filling up the sky with garbage what will we do when there's nothing left to breathe but garbage our reliance on disposable plastic is definitely overwhelming our planet yeah and it's challenging i think over the past couple of months where you know through covid we had to revert back to a lot of using a lot of single-use plastic yeah cafes were able to take or keep cups or reusable cups and this you know it There's still cafes around that are only doing disposable. And I think, you know, it's really important to, when we think about waste and the reason why I really like 
think waste is an important issue that everyone activates on is because it's something that we all produce mm. every day. Unless you live plastic free, then maybe this doesn't apply to you. But, you know, we all produce it and we all have, you know, the, the opportunity in our daily decisions to use it or not. And I really feel strongly about that, that, you know, whilst plastic is this convenient product that, you know, in our fast paced lifestyles, we've become really reliant on as we're running to work and we need to pick up a coffee or a sandwich or something like that. I think it's also a really big reflection on the pace of the the world which we live and the fact that we by slowing down and eating your food in a cafe or you know drinking taking 10 minutes to drink your coffee or investigating the clothing or the dress that you're going to buy for a wedding and what it's made of and where it's from by slowing down and being not so impulsive you're not just you know making better choices for the planet you're not you're not creating so much waste and you're also giving yourself the time to slow down. So yeah. that's what I like with, you know, starting to think consciously about waste in plastic textiles and food is that it's really starting like a bit, it's a lifestyle shift. And I think it's one that, you know, everyone really needs to go through to to start to slow down. Yeah, that's totally agreed because when you said our plastic consumption also indicator of our lifestyle that's so true when you think about it and yeah yeah especially with this keep cups in australia with the covid i think (laughs) i resisted for the first two months and i didn't buy any coffee from anywhere but then it just i don't know when i just started to buy coffee and it became normal to me i mean i still feel bad but it's like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I think it's okay to do it <laughs> now and then. It's about being mindful when you do it, you know, like mm. not mindlessly consuming this stuff. Because the fact is, like, you know, that co- the coffee cups and the forks and all this, the bags, you know, they're going to be around for like maybe not in their exact form, but in some form of their their very similar self for thousands of years. And the fact that we use it, you know, a plastic bag's used for an average of seven minutes. How long does it take someone to drink a coffee? 15 minutes. You know, this stuff that we use to get the things that we want is just like so, you know, it has a lasting impact. But at the same time, like waste is, it's overwhelming because, you know, it's in every facet of our life. And it's really important not to get, you know, not to put it in the too hard basket because you're not going to achieve, you know, I've been doing this for five years and I'm pretty on top of like my daily shopping in terms of like consumer products for for food. But in terms of like textiles or other things, like it's a continuous like learning process and I'm going to continue, it'll like and continue learning about it for the rest of my life. So I think it's really important with people like, you know, if you're listening to this and feeling like, you know, it's just too hard, just start with one thing. Like, just mm. do that one thing. You know, maybe do it for, you know, a month, do it for six months, do it for a year until it becomes your your habit and then move on to the next thing. It doesn't matter that you're still using all the other stuff. The fact that you're not using that one thing is good. I mean, that counts. It's not it's, it's not going to change the world. Like I don't think that me making yogurt every week and not creating a yogurt container is going to have one significant influence on the global climate situation. <laughs> it's more about my conscious awareness of what I'm doing. And, you know, I have no idea of the follow-out effects of me doing that action. Like, you know, you taking your sandwich in a beeswax wrap to a picnic or, you know, you don't know what people are thinking when they see that and, like, you know, how you can encourage other people to do stuff by just doing what you do, not having to preach about it, not having to, you know, make some big show about it, but just, you know, when you can do something that's more mindful for the planet. Yeah, the problem as well as the solution starts with each one of us. You already started to talk about 
few transitions and how to begin. Can you please tell us more? Yeah, so the top five single-use items are coffee cups, takeaway containers like food containers, straws, cutlery, and plastic bags. So if you use those on a regular basis, I would honestly just start with choosing one of them and finding either a reusable alternative, and that doesn't mean going out and buying it. A cup, you have many mugs in your cupboard, I'm sure. So you can just grab a mug and take it to the cafe and get that filled up. Maybe you don't do it every day and sometimes you make it, you do get a takeaway cup, but it's more about starting to try and change your your patterns of behavior. And just, you know, if you take, if you get lunch out every day, maybe you can even just start with carrying a fork so that you don't have to get the, the plastic fork or spoon or whatever it is. Then, you know, do that for a couple of weeks, do that for a couple of months until you feel really comfortable doing that and then do another thing. So maybe you go and get soup or like laksa or something every Thursday. Try take a bowl from your office and see if they'll fill that up. You know, it can seem like daunting and, you know, concerning what other people think of you. But I think in this day and age, most people understand why we're making why we're making these actions. And as long as you approach it from like a really, you know, gentle and kind approach and say like, look, I'm really trying to not use plastic, but I love your Luxa and I really want to buy it every Thursday. Would you mind putting it in my own reusable bowl? You know, you'd be surprised. And then there's the person next to you who's buying their Luxa after you and they might be thinking the same thing. Yeah, you doing that, you know, maybe they're going to do that. So it's just about starting really, really small and not being overwhelmed because it is bloody overwhelming. Like, and Mm. I I know 100% that all of you that are trying to start out on this transition are going to get overwhelmed because I get overwhelmed every day too. But it's just about you know, not losing sight of what you're doing, that every little bit of what you're doing, you know, contributes to a greater consciousness of of change. It's not going to change the world in one action. And so that's why we need to be patient. But, you know, it's really important that everyone starts to make a shift. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's we should be more process-oriented than the outcome. So one of the habits that I'm trying to gain is is ordering a drink and emphasizing no straw and most of the time not most of the time but often I forget and sometimes it come with a paper straw which I still don't prefer because I'm trying to gain that habit and I don't really need that straw and sometimes when it comes with a (laughs) plastic straw and it's already in there so I know they can't reuse it this is just in my head, but sometimes a sea turtle pops up to to have eye contact with me. <laughs> I, f- I feel bad, yeah. Yeah, great one. Another one for coffee is also just asking if you if you forget your cup, like asking for no lid on your coffee. Yeah, just getting like the base. And just FYI for everyone who thinks the bases are recyclable because they're, pla- they're paper, they're not actually just paper. If they were just paper, they would melt in your hand and you'd get a burnt hand. They're lined with plastic. plastic. So there's really thin lining, which makes it not recyclable because you can't actually separate the plastic from the paper unless it goes through a special process. So the base of a normal like non-bio pack or biodegradable is not recyclable. The lid is actually recyclable because it's a straight up hard plastic there are many different areas where we can go plastic free like in in the kitchen wardrobe groceries i think this month you focused on fashion in your newsletter i feel like this is not a really well known by many can you talk a bit about the clothing fashion industry and its impact Yeah, sure. So I didn't realize this for quite a while, but 
text, the textile and fashion industry is actually the second most polluting behind coal in the world. <laughs> wow. So that's huge. In Australia, Australians buy 28 kilos of textiles every year and we throw out 23 kilos. So it's not surprising that every 10 minutes, six tonnes of textiles go straight to landfill in Australia and that our salvos, our vinnies, our lifelines, our charity stores literally cannot keep up. The reason why so much of it goes to landfill is because it's really poor quality. You know, fast fashion is designed to be worn up to seven times and then it loses its elasticity, its uh, shape, its colour, its, you know, quality, and then it's literally meant for the bin. So it's really important to start thinking about the products that you're, like the, the clothing that you're buying and taking responsibility for buying quality stuff over quantity. I realise that that is a luxury to not everyone because not all people can afford, you know, really good quality jeans or jumpers or shirts. But, you know, if you do invest in better quality stuff, it's going to last you longer. Mm. It is a bigger upfront cost, but you'll have it for longer. Another thing about fast fashion is that most of it is made from plastic or petroleum. As I touched on earlier, it's your nylons, your polyesters, synthetic fibres. And when you wash these, every time you wash, hundreds of thousands of microfibres go out your drain into the sewer and out into you know, your local waterways. So the microplastics, which we've become familiar with, like those hard little plastic pieces that are polluting our ocean, actually 35% of the global microplastics are actually microfibers, which is really devastating. And I'm sorry for people listening to this feeling super overwhelmed, but don't worry, there's little things that you can do. So with microplast uh, microfibers, to avoid them going out down your drain, you can get different things um, to put in your washing machine. So you can put all your synthetic clothes in a bag called a guppy bag. Um, sea Shepherd sell them on their website. Uh, and you be, it's a big like fabric bag that you put your clothes in and before you put it in the wash. And then after the wash, you take out the microfibers and put them in the bin. There's another thing called like a coral ball that you put in your washing machine, which washes around and it actually collects all the microfibers um, mm. before they wash down the drain. The other way is you can get a filter that you actually put over your out drain, which needs to be replaced every so many washes. Textiles is another multifaceted challenging area to, to combat waste, but the really the, the key areas are, you know, buying quality over quantity if you can buy stuff that's locally made, buying things that are made from um, natural fibers. So that's linens, it's cotton, especially organic cotton and straight fabrics rather than buying mixed products and just buying less. We don't need that much stuff. In today's materialistic world, somehow happiness is associated with stuff, you know. I mean, oh, I'm not feeling well. I'll just go and buy some shoes. I'll just go buy a pair of jeans or whatever. And just trying to feel that emptiness. And, and as you said, in a fast pace. Yeah, it's a complicated issue because there's a lot of pressure for women, especially to be beautiful. And beauty often is associated with what we put on our body rather than what's, you know, what's yeah. in our body. And people feel confident when they're wearing nicer clothes or wearing new clothes um, as well. So it's quite challenging when we start talking about textiles and clothing around how to, you know, it's a quite, it's a deeper um, discussion around our expectations on ourselves and on others. Yeah. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, just <laughs> trying to not give 
attention to what other people think because you know it doesn't matter what you, like you put on your body it's like who you are that really counts yeah there is a desire for material beauty rather than the mind or the soul unity that's, that's totally a different topic but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into that but yeah I think it's just like the materialistic society and and the days we're living hmm. tell us about some positive things that are happening in this space have there been any government policies social movements research or inventions that have already or might in the future reduce plastic pollution Yeah, so the flip side to all the, the sad things that I'm saying is that there's a lot of really cool things, there's a lot of innovation, and there's a lot of movement in this space. I think it was just in the last week, our government has committed like $130 million dollars to investing into the recycling industry so that we can actually start to improve our resource recovery centers and the process around collecting and recycling products, which is a good step obviously. Mm. Something that's also really cool and which I'm not sure how many people know about or like have heard of is circular economy principles. And this is basically, it's, you know, there's lots of different terms for it, but it's a closed loop system where, you know, what you put in just gets reused, recycled, repaired, and then it gets, re it gets used again. So, when you think about waste in our current stream, it's a linear model. We take it from the you know, finite resources, we turn it into something, we use it, and then we throw it away. So it's like one line to the bin. What closed loop systems is, is keeping it all in a circular model. The three principles are keeping products and materials in use for longer, mm. designing waste and pollution out of the system, and thirdly, regenerating natural systems. And there are so many cool businesses that are starting to come up with ways to do this. So people will start to see now there are subscription models for things like underwear and socks. So rather than buying them outright, you you get them and you use them until they get holy or, you know, they stretch. And then you can send them back to the company who will then break down the product, get it down to a yarn and then restitch with the same yarn. There's a really cool brand called Man Rags, which is in Melbourne, and they're, you know, look into them. There's rental clothing shops that, you know, you can go and hire really high-end dresses or shoes or suits, and you hire it for maybe like $60, and you use it for a wedding or whatever you need it, and then you return it. Mm. Um, there's, there's products that are starting to actually, you know, reuse or like design waste out of the system so there's subscription models now i think it's with philips the the lights company i don't know if it's hit australia yet but i know overseas now what they're doing is you actually buy light fittings you don't own them you rent them and so the onus is on the actual business to make really good quality stuff because The, the crapper it is, the more they're going to have to replace it. So we're shifting away from this inbuilt obsolescence, which has become, you know, a mainstay in a lot of the products, especially technology that we buy. And we're seeing that companies are take, taking the initiative to create products that have longevity. And, you know, they're taking responsibility because, you know, I've spoken a lot about individual action, which is important, but it's not going to shift the... The needle to change climate change or the waste problem these are these are problems that require top-down solutions and there are some very cool solutions that are coming into light circular economy principles are being adopted across all industries it's not just waste it's because obviously keeping things in use for longer is economically sensible so there's an organization called the ellen macarthur foundation ellen macarthur is a lady who sailed around the world. I think she has the world record for the first female to circumnavigate the, the globe oh. or something along those lines. And after doing that and realizing how much trash was in the sea, she started to investigate solutions to actually 
you know, solve this problem. Another terminology that's a bit older is called cradle to cradle. Mm. I can't remember the author, the founder or the, the researcher behind that. But this is not a new theory. You know, our grandparents and our great-grandparents knew this. They would use and reuse and repair and fix and, you know, do everything to keep the same stuff and extend the life of it. And we've lost that with this convenience culture that we now have. But it's coming back and it's coming back in a big way. So I would really recommend to a lot of people to start to investigate different ways to shop. Obviously, there's bulk food shop shopping for like things like food, grains, cereals, stuff like that, where you can take your own containers along and fill them up. Mm. Um, but it's moving beyond that to starting to look at textiles, at technology, at food waste. You know, food is the, sh- the biggest polluter. If we, I think, there was no more food waste in the whole world, we would reduce global emissions by 8%. Food waste is huge. So, you know, buy what you need and learn get a compost bin get a worm farm there's nothing worse than food waste going into your landfill bin because it then just contaminates the system and it means that all the waste cannot be recycled there's just so many fallouts you know obviously the biggest one being food being wasted and not given to people who need it so yeah Watch this space. There's heaps going on, but, you know, everyone needs to be part of the solution. So start investigating. Yeah. And compost bin or a worm farm, is it's really easy. It doesn't smell. It's like, you know, you just get to feed your little worms and then you get their worm wee and you dilute yeah. it. Yeah. They're like the new pets in there of the house. And your recommendation is so useful and it's so easy to you know a practice it's not it's not hard i mean i really like the renting clothes idea i'll have a look at that website yeah it's obviously quite different like to our conventional way of shopping and there's like a big barrier for people in terms of like you know wanting to own it and having the attachment to it and obviously like there's a little bit around the the time barrier as well but there's shops in Paddington in Sydney there's online shops where you literally like in a very similar way you go on and you check it out and then you order it and it you know gets delivered in a couple of days and then you send it back but you get a really you know you get a dress that might cost $400 or a suit that might cost 600 for 60 rather than, you know, having it sit in your cupboard for the next 365 days until the next event that you might wear it at. So mm. there's, you know, there's, there's shifts that we as consumers need to start to be more, um, more willing to, to take on as well. So, yeah, I encourage everyone start investigating and obviously Second to that is just shop at second hand. If you do want to own pieces, which is completely understandable, find them at second hand shops. Mm. They're really cool stuff out out there in the second hand shops. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. it takes a little bit longer, but save heaps of money and it's way more rewarding. And it usually has a very funny story attached to it or a good story as well. Yeah, totally. AJ, if you were in charge of a global superpower and could make one change that would have a lasting impact what would you do <laughs> this is a really hard question and i've thought about this long and hard <laughs> i think what i would do is i would require every product to have its you know true cost associated to it so companies and consumers have to pay the true cost of what each product is so that's you know the the travel cost the environmental cost the labor cost the product cost because i think you know if we were paying the real true cost of the products that we're consuming on a daily basis we would be way more grateful for them Hmm, interesting. Hmm, nice one. I will think on this. <laughs> yeah. We'd probably buy a lot less because we couldn't afford as much, which, you know, I know a lot of people won't be all about. But I think, you know, we get away with so much, buying so much that, you know, we're just not even 
the fact that we can buy things for like tops and stuff for two dollars like that's just insane it is it is oh it's it would be cool to you know watch a trailer before you buy a product yeah. <laughs> what that product have been through like for example yeah, that banana or you know just like that apple or just that food before you land on your table like what's been through and like the whole process mm. who who what's the story behind it like where's it come from what's it traveled in who's delivered it who grew it who you know there's so many people associated with the stuff that we use and we just have no idea it's like really really remarkable we're super detached like me included, like in terms of food and stuff, like I'm still so um, detached from where it comes from. It's something I'm trying to work on myself. But yeah, yes. having a storyboard attached would be pretty great. <laughs> If our listeners would like to follow and support Scavenge, what can they do? When is your next event? So we have social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Seaside Scavenge. Our website is www.seasidescavenge.org. Please check them out and stay up to date, especially our Instagram. Our awesome marketing coordinator, Katie, does weekly waste busters. So if any of the things that I spoke about today around separating, separating and sorting and avoiding was of interest, you can get a, a regular fix of that on our socials. In terms of events, obviously we're a bit challenged at the moment with COVID. And we've had to cancel everything for the time being, but we have an awesome program that is currently underway with 29 people that are participating in a 14-week program to learn how to run their own scavenge and build their own leadership capacity. So they're currently doing that and that wraps up in end of September with the aim that they'll be able to run their events in spring, so in October, November. So we will have events happening all around the country. So from WA to Tassie to Northern Territory, Queensland um, over October, November. So hopefully there'll be one near you. And if you want to come to a flagship scavenge, we're actually coordinating one in Sydney in on the 29th of November at Little Bay, which is in the Randwick region. So yeah, you can head to our website and find out, stay up to date there, really. And we, yeah, we're always looking for volunteers. We've got tons of different things that need doing from design to accounting to social impact measurement to content creation. So, you know, if you've got some spare time and some skills or just want to get involved, hit us up on our volunteer page on the website. And yeah, we're a, a for-purpose organization, so we rely on donations. So if anyone has some spare cash, we'll gratefully take it off your hand and it is a tax <laughs> donation <laughs> Seaside Scavenge has also a super informative newsletter don't forget to subscribe and attend their events AJ thank you so much for taking the time it's great talking to you thanks so much for hosting this wonderful podcast and for chatting mm-hmm. Mr. Thompson calls the waiter, orders steak and baked potato. He leaves the bone and gristle and he never eats the skin. The busboy comes and takes it, with a cough contaminates it, puts it in a can with coffee grounds and sardine tins. And the truck comes by on Friday and carts it all away. A thousand trucks just like it are converging on the bay. Oh, garbage, 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 We're filling up the seas with garbage. What will we do when there's no place left to put all the garbage? For this episode, I'd like to say special thanks to Rachel Raymond for editing the script and Chris Schaffordis for his technical support. This amazing song belongs to legendary folk singer Pete Seeger who left us in 2014. The song is called Garbage. I'm Denise Zildes and thank you for listening. We're filling up the sky with garbage. Garbage, 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 garbage.
What will we do when there's nothing left to breathe but garbage? Getting home and taking off his shoes, he settles with the evening news while the kids do homework with the TV in one ear. While Superman for the thousandth time sells talking dolls and conquers crime, dutifully they learn the date of birth of Paul Revere. In the papers there's a piece about the mayor's middle name. He gets it read in time to watch the all-star bingo game. Oh, garbage, garbage, garbage. We're filling up our minds with garbage. What will we do when there's nothing left to read and there's nothing left to need? There's nothing left to watch, there's nothing left to touch, there's nothing left to walk upon and nothing left to talk upon, nothing left to see and nothing left to be but garbage. Mr. Thompson's factory, they're making plastic Christmas trees complete with silver tinsel and a geodesic stand. The plastic's mixed in giant vats from some conglomeration that's been piped from deep within the earth or strip mined from the land. And if you ask them questions, they say, why don't you see? It's absolutely needed for the economy. Oh, God. Their stocks and their bonds all garbage. garbage. What will they do when their system goes to smash? There's no value to their cash. There's no money to be made, but there's a world to be repaid. Their kids will read in history books about financiers and other crooks, and feudalism and slavery and nukes and all their knavery. To history's dustbin, they're consigned along with many other kinds of garbage. garbage.